So Money episode 265, Ask Farnoosh with special guest Alan Moore. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to So Money. Happy Friday. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks for joining me. We've got tons and tons of questions this Friday from Crystal and Maggie and Oscar and Elizabeth. Before we get to everybody's excellent questions, I want to introduce our special guest. You've heard him before if you've been listening to this show, and he's a special uh, friend to the podcast, Alan Moore. He is the co-founder of XY Planning Network. It's a fee-only advisory and location-independent financial planning firm. So if you're in Boston and you want a financial planner, if you're in Honolulu, Paris, Alan can connect you with someone who can work with you remotely. He was on So Money not too long ago with some great insights into his own financial life. And I thought, you know what, Alan, let's let's team up again. Come back and help me answer some of your pertinent financial questions. So without further ado, Alan, welcome to the show again. Thanks so much for having me back on. It's a pleasure. Let's turn now to our questions. We have several in the queue and I want to get to as many as possible. We're going to start with Crystal and she says, hey, Farnoosh, thanks so much for the amazing content on your podcast. Well, thanks, Crystal. She says, I wanted to get your thoughts on credit repair companies. I have a friend, a friend, hmm, (laughs) sometimes, (laughs) are you talking about yourself, Crystal, or is it really a friend? Uh, So she says, I have a friend who recently used a credit repair company to clean up some blemishes on her credit. And before I jumped on board, I wanted to get your insight. Will credit repair reflect negatively on my report? Uh, Well, it depends. I mean, you can uh, answer this too, Alan, but I think just from my understanding, it depends on whether this is a credit consolidation company, uh, a credit management company, a credit um, repair company. Sometimes the how they repair your credit can negative negatively impact your credit report. So if they are, for example, uh, going and saying, "Okay, you know what? We're going to uh, pay off this debt. We're going to settle it. We're going to pay it. You know, fifty cents for every dollar that you owe," and that gets reported as a settled debt, and that could potentially. Uh, impair your credit report. If, however, what they're doing for you is negotiating and saying, we would like to lower your interest rate, we're going to get rid of some fees, uh, but you still end up paying that debt in time, in full, uh, then that does not necessarily negatively impact your score. So you want to ask them, uh, how are you going to go about repairing, quote unquote, repairing my credit? Is it settlement or is it management? And if it's settlement, then that just know that that could have the ability to negatively impact your credit report. What do you what do you know about this, Alan? Do you help a lot of your clients with credit repair? Um, not really, and I'll tell you why. I have heard some really uh, scary stories about the ways that that they do repair credit, such as changing your social security number so the credit companies can't track you. I mean, there's a lot of really extreme stuff that happens in the credit repair world. There are only two ways to fix your credit. One is to fix um, inaccurate information. So basically, they reported something incorrectly. You report it to the credit agencies and they have to go uh, double check and then they find out, okay, yeah, this is erroneous information and time. 
over time, negative information becomes less and less of an impact on your score and eventually falls off your credit report. And so what I would say is if you're looking at a credit repair company, chances are they're doing something shady uh, just because there's really no good way to fix uh, a credit score other than time and and just fixing incorrect information. That's a really good point. There's a, yes, there's a lot of um, abuse in this industry. I think if the, if you're getting an offer that says, hey, we're going to get you out of debt in no time, in 30 days, in six months, that's too good to be true. You want to walk away quickly. But I would recommend the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, nfcc.org. There's also Money Management International. These are credit counseling nonprofit groups. Uh, they're all over the country. You can hook up with somebody in your in your area. Just type in your zip code on their websites and they will hook you up with someone who is a licensed and accredited credit counselor. Say that 10 times fast. And they will meet with you. First meeting is free to kind of just o- give you the overview of where you are, how they might be able to work with you. They do have debt management programs. But again, to Alan's point, these aren't quick fixes. You know, you enter this program with the understanding that it could take two, three years to get out of debt, but it's going to be the right way. And absolutely time heals. We actually had on Ethan Dornhelm from FICO, who's a principal scientist on uh, the previous week's Ask Farnoosh. And he gives a lot of really insight, insightful information about kind of what impacts your credit score and how time does heal. So that's a good point though, Alan. I mean, if it sounds too good to be true, you better just take it and leave it. Walk away. Walk away. (laughs) Uh, Well, good luck to your friend, Crystal, and you. Maggie says, hey, Farnoosh, I love your show. Retirement question. I'm 26 and currently contribute to the max $18,000 in my 401k pre-tax and $5,500 in a Roth IRA. Wow. She's the head of the curve, wouldn't you say? That is awesome. (laughs) She says, my employer also offers a Roth 401k. Can I have all three retirement accounts? Currently, the $18,000 bumps me down from the 25% to 15% tax bracket. Wow, that's great. So I understand the current benefit. However, I will be receiving a raise that will keep me in the 25% bracket despite my pre-tax efforts. Perhaps at least $5,000 pre-tax to maximize employer benefits. She's thinking 13,000 in the Roth 401k and 5,500 in Roth IRA. Is that possible? What do you think? So there's, it sounds like there's just a little bit of confusion here on the way the taxes work whenever you're contributing to pre-tax and and Roth 401k. So let me just point one thing out here. And that is whenever you're in the 25% tax bracket and you're contributing money, you get down the 15% tax bracket. That does not mean that all of your income went from being taxed at 25% down to 15%. The way the US tax code works is, you know, your income up to a certain level is taxed at 15% and everything over that is taxed at 25%. So don't worry too much about trying to get your stuff from 25 down to 15 because ultimately that's only affecting um, the, uh, a certain amount of your income, not the entire income. Now, that being said, the the short answer is yes, you can contribute to um, up to $18,000 total into your 401k. You can split that between Roth and pre-tax contributions. You can do all Roth, all pre-tax. It's totally up to you. And you can put the money into the Roth IRA. The one thing to know is that any employer contributions, which uh, Maggie did not mention having any, but if there's any match, that automatically goes into pre-tax. So even if you put all of your money into a Roth 401k and Roth IRA, you're still going to be having some money build up in that pre-tax. So you can do that. It's just totally up to you and the way you want to structure it. Right. And I get this question a lot, which is, I don't know whether to do the Roth or the traditional. And 
I mean, really, it just comes down to your preference as far as uh, how you are going to be subject to taxes. That's exactly right. I mean, you basically are flipping a coin on, do you think tax rates are going to go up or down? Um, you know, and so if you're pulling money out in in retirement and you're at a really high tax bracket and a low tax bracket today, the Roth makes sense. If you're going to be in a high tax bracket today and uh, super low in retirement, the pre-tax makes sense. So what I see a lot of folks do is kind of hedge um, and end up with money in both Roth and pre-tax. Um, but that being said, you know, it, it really is a preference. There's there's honestly no right answer. Mike, he says, how would you advise a high school graduate who doesn't know what they want to study? I think that's a lot of high school graduates. <laughs> I think that's Absolutely. Most, most young adults. He says, but I, I'm pretty sure I want to go to college. How would I finance it? Should I do student loans? Should I go to a junior college? Uh, and maybe then transfer to a uh, four-year school? Should I work while I'm in school? Mike, I love that he's asking this question now. So oh, many, yeah, this is huge. Right? I mean, so many students just go and they follow the herd and they go to college and they take out all of the loans. Actually, Pew did a study this week. It came out on the fact that really, I mean, we know this, but I think when Pew comes out with the report, it's official <laughs> that student loans has reached epidemic level, that there has never been a time in history where young adults have saddled so much has have been saddled with so much debt at such a young age that they predict it's going to be uh, just this seismic shift in how the economy will operate in the future. And so with that as the context, I would say, Mike, you know, the, to the best of your ability, try to minimize your your financing, your borrowing. And if you can go to school part-time and then work or you go to a community college first and then transfer, especially because you don't know what you want to do. And that was me. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went to state school. I didn't go to the $35,000, a year private schools, which by the way, the first year, you're all taking the same courses. <laughs> you know, there's really no true. difference in terms of your education. Sure, Harvard is great, but um, if you don't know what you want to do, don't invest so much money in just being confused. You know, go and just kind of know that you can explore lots of stuff and at a low price. And if it means skipping a year between high school and college to figure out a little bit more about who you are and where you want to go, that's fine too. I can only imagine, Alan, you know, the number of clients you come across who didn't do that. You know, they went and they went to college, they financed it to the max, and now they're paying the price. Yeah, it's a huge issue. I mean, I don't think I've ever worked with a client that didn't have student loans. Um, but like like you said, uh, when you were first asking this question, Mike's actually asking the, the right questions now. So I'm totally in agreement with what you're saying that, you know, college is an investment. You are investing money to be able to get some sort of the education to start some sort of career that you really love. Don't make an investment into an unknown. You need to figure that out. So whether it's taking a year off and working or taking a year off and traveling Europe, or it's going to community college, take that time, really focus on what you want to do with your life and then pick the school that's going to provide you the best education. Because I can tell you, you know, I got my college degree in family financial planning very few universities have that degree. So if I had just kind of gone somewhere randomly, I may not have been able to find that program. So, you know, definitely agree with with the advice you're giving, Farnoosh. That's amazing, Alan. Family financial planning. I, I would have taken that if I've, Penn State had offered it. They are, <laughs> you know, I, so many schools lag in as far as offering just basic financial 
personal financial courses to their students. Now, of course, they're becoming more aggressive on that on that front and realizing that they really need to be graduating students who know a thing or two about money, especially if they're going to be giving them five, six figure loans. They have a responsibility to do that. But that's excellent. Was it a popular degree or were you kind of one of the few who went that that route? It was very new. So I think it got started in 2005 and I started the program in 2006 or something like that. So it was a very new program. But I think we had something like 100 undergrads at the University of Georgia, which is a 30,000 person school. But um, it's becoming much more popular. And there's only a few, only really a handful of, of universities that have college degree programs to become a financial planner, which is very different than getting your finance degree to go work in investment banking or that sort of thing. So um, thrilled I got the degree because it really set me up for the career that I have. Let's talk about Oscar's question. It's a good one. It's about entrepreneurship, something that you have pursued and myself as well. He says, what steps did you take in starting your own business? What type of investment strategy do you use currently? He quotes Warren Buffett and says, if Lehman Brothers wouldn't, would have been Lehman sisters, (laughs) they wouldn't have gone bankrupt. Did Warren Buffett really say that? He's my new hero. I don't know. I've never heard that quote before. So we'll we'll go with it. Sisters, they would not have gone bankrupt. That's um, funny. Well, you can answer this too, Alan. I think you have a much more structured business than I do. I mean, my, I'm I'm kind of this, you know, uh, I call, I kind of feel weird calling myself an entrepreneur, even though I'm totally an entrepreneur. I just, it's such a hustle that I don't feel like, you know, I'm running a company. I'm just running my life and trying to, you know, do good by the work that I do independently. But I will say this, that uh, at the very least, before I started Farnoosh Inc., which is literally what it's called. <laughs> it's funny, but it is what it's it's called Farnoosh Inc. In 2009, I made sure that I had about a year's worth of life savings tucked away. It happened to also be the year that I got laid off from my full-time employer. So I was not sh- sure what to do, but because I had that one year roughly, you know, living expenses tucked away, I felt that I could really take some smart risks with my next steps. And the next steps were not to go back and work for a company and full time. It was rather to try to expand on the freelancing that I was already doing to really develop um, some, some strategy behind this media company, essentially that I now run. And so if anything, I would say if you're you're in the beginning steps of starting your own business, if you're currently employed somewhere, don't quit your day job. Try to keep that wheel turning, those wheels turning, save as much as you can so that you can make the leap with some financial security and knowing that, you know, you can make mistakes and it's okay because your rent's covered and everything else is okay. Your bases are covered. How did you start your business, Alan? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat where, um, you know, people call me a serial entrepreneur and it makes me really uncomfortable, but I guess from a technical definition, that's what we are. Um, but no, I got laid off as well. So I walked into the boss's office on Friday and, and told them to come back on Monday and it was in that moment that I realized just how risky having a job was. And I, I remember, you know, growing up in the South, very traditional household, um, having a job was considered safe. Entrepreneurship was considered risky. But it was in that moment that I realized somebody that I really didn't even like held the keys to 100 percent of my income. And I swore then I would never be 
I would never put myself in that position. And so ultimately I, I launched my own financial planning firm, um, which then kind of led into the, the founding of uh, the XY Planning Network. But um, I'll echo some of what you said. Whenever you're looking at starting a business, uh, the two things you've got to figure out, income and expenses. Farnish, you know, you talked about the income side, look at the side hustle, uh, figure out a way to earn enough money to cover your living expenses, cover your rent, cover car pay, whatever you've got, because ultimately that's going to take so much stress off of your business. But also look at the expense side. And I'll tell you, when I started my company, you know, I moved from a two bedroom, uh, you know, lofted apartment with granite countertops and hardwood floors. It was gorgeous. Nicest place I've ever lived into a studio apartment and a fourth floor walk up in downtown Milwaukee. And I, I literally cut my personal expenses in half because that made that that nut, you know, that I had to get the that what I needed in terms of to cover living expenses made it so much lower and so much more accessible. So if you're looking at starting a business, work on the income side, work on the expense side, make those meet up, and then it will free you to really pursue a career in doing what you love. And don't let anybody tell you that you can't get paid for work that you love, because I, I don't know of any career that you can't be an entrepreneur in. You just have to figure out a way to make it work. Absolutely. And Oscar, let us know what you're pursuing, because I think that we should keep this dialogue going. I'd love to know um, if we can help you, you know, just as far as uh, any specific questions you have with the industry you're looking to go into. And um, congratulations on realizing this is the path you want to take. It's going to it's a fun one. It doesn't come without ups and downs, but it's better than we were just talking, Alan, before we got on the podcast that as entrepreneurs, we don't have really the case of the Mondays. Um, that's because for better, or for worse, every day is Monday. <laughs> <laughs> every, every day. Every day is Monday. Well, and it makes it funny because I'll, I'll ask a friend like, hey, you want to go out for drinks tonight? And they're like, Alan, like I got to work in the morning. I'm like, oh yeah, you have a real job. Um, I forget that I certainly work the hours, but I don't have the normal schedule. So it is, a, it's so interesting as you kind of shift into this kind of new mindset when you own your own, own schedule. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, let's turn now to Elizabeth's question. She has a question about budgeting. She says, it seems like budgeting software keeps coming up, but I have to say that I've had some trouble using this software because my boyfriend and I live together, meaning we have some shared expenses, but separate finances. We track who pays for what and we squared up at the end of the month. The problem is that programs like Mint and You Need a Budget, YNAB, don't seem to be able to capture this and expenses are allocated wrong, so I end up doing all of it myself in Excel. I don't mind doing this, uh, but it'd be nice to be able to use some software and get some of it done automatically. What are your suggestions? What do you suggest to your clients? I mean, we're a big fans here of YNAB and I like Mint and we've had on uh, the founder of YNAB and a lot of people like YNAB because it uh, helps you to budget for the future, really looks at, you know, projections really well, especially mm -hmm. if you're a business owner. But what do you think, Alan? Yeah, I normally would recommend somebody go to, to men or YNAB. The, the issue, and, you know, I apologize for the personal finance industry in general. We are stuck in the traditional world where you're supposed to only live with someone that you're married and, and you have 2.5 kids and a white picket fence. So that's just everything is stuck in the old school. So it, there, I don't know of any set software that's going to easily account for a non-traditional household, which is basically anyone that's not just a married couple. 
Um, one option, whenever I was thinking through this, one option might be to actually kind of realign the way that you're paying the bills and the way that the finances are working. Uh, for instance, maybe open up a joint account that you put in enough money to cover the monthly bills uh, and then use that to kind of track the amount. And maybe that would allow you to, to track it a little better. Um, ultimately, though, you may end up doing this pretty manually simply because um, I'm not aware of any software that would help for this situation. But I will say congrats to you and your boyfriend for being really communicative about your finances. It sounds like you have a good system, even though it's not perfect. You're working on it and you're clearly, you know, you're doing the good work that's needed in relationships to make sure that, you know, your finances are squared away. And uh, hopefully if this ends up being something that is serious and you end up living together longer, maybe marriages in your future, maybe buying a home together in your future. This is a really great foundation. Totally agree. Uh, all right. We're going to do one more question here from Kelsey. And she says, this is a good one. What do you think about the Fed's decision not to raise interest rates in the U.S.? Good, bad, neutral. Well, I will only say that personally, I'm really excited about that. The fact that interest rates did not go up. I was surprised. I was absolutely shocked. I was almost I would have bet money on the fact that the Fed was going to raise rates. Um Personally, I was really excited about this because we are going to have to refinance our home loan soon. And the longer the Fed drags out the interest rate hike, the better for us. Uh, but of course, that is going to be, I'm, I'm pretty sure the next meeting, I mean, what do you think, Alan? Next meeting, it's got to go up, right? <laughs> I think I have heard that said for the last, I don't know, four years. Um, so who knows? Hey, this is one of those things where we could debate and we could bring on economists and talk to them. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter because we just have no control over it. And so, you know, we, we have to trust that the Fed's doing what they think is in the best interest of the economy as a whole. And it may affect some of us individually negatively, some of us individually in a positive way. But ultimately, they're going to do what they're going to do. So if you're trying to refinance a loan or looking at that, I would go ahead and do it. Uh, but again, we've been saying they were going to the they were going to raise interest rates for years now and, and they still haven't. So who knows? And honestly, even if they were to raise rates, the next meeting, it, it doesn't mean you're going to see a huge spike in your say in your interest rates uh, immediately. You know, these sort of things take time to filter into the economy. And then frankly, I mean, they're not going to raise rates by two points. You know, maybe it's a quarter of a point. And so I think we are not going to really feel the pain until a few meetings when they start to raise rates, uh, you know, in succession. Is that I mean, that's 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 what I remember because it's been a long time since we've had a, an environment where the Fed kept raising rates. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of one of those things that um, it depends on what kind of debt you're taking out and, and what you're looking at. But yeah, I would say it's going to be fairly slow. There's going to be a shock to the economy simply because everyone's going to freak out. Um, but that usually settles down after a few days or weeks and then things we kind of resume normal. Uh, so you know, it's one of those things I just wouldn't worry about it. I mean, we've got so much, so much to stress about in life that worrying about what the Fed's doing, I, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't be too concerned with it. All right. On that note, Alan, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Let's give a round of applause, virtual Thanks round so of applause. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, Alan Moore, really awesome to have you on. We, you know, you're fun. Let's have you on again uh, for these Ask Farnooshes. Some of these questions are a bit technical and I'd love to have you back and share your expertise with our audience. Wishing you continued success. Thanks so much. I look forward to being back on the show. 